Welcome to the JD Power Travel Podcast. I'm Michael Vermillion with JD Power, and with me today are Mike Taylor, who leads our travel practice, Jenny Corwin, our lead analyst for travel, and Andrea Stokes, our practice leader for hospitality. Mike, Jenny, Andrea, welcome. Thanks for having us. Uh, Mike, why don't we start with the airlines? Uh, big news uh, recently around change fees. I think United uh, was the first airline to drop the change fees, and then the other two large airlines followed pretty quickly. So what's behind this? Is this a temporary move? Are the change fees likely to come back at some point? Uh, what's um, what's the outlook? Well, at least in their press releases, um, they said that the change fees are permanently gone away. And I think that's just to encourage people to feel that this is a any book any time type of thing. The reason why the airlines are making this offer is they desperately need cash, and that should be no surprise to anyone on this pod listening to this podcast. Uh, so they're trying to remove as many barriers uh, to people booking and making future plans as possible in order to get that money uh, into their system. And this is one of the several buttons they could push, which is let's make this frictionless. If you decide to change your plans or you get a little bit more scared about COVID or there's a resurgence that kind of tamps down people's willingness to travel. And in our research in the J.D. Power North American Airlines study, the cost and fees is the key driving factor in satisfaction. And that doesn't mean that a low ticket price is going to guarantee satisfaction. It's more the value of the, for the money. And then also the irrita irritation that fees, extra fees, being charged for a bag, being charged to board the plane earlier, um, being charged to change your plans, as we're talking about here, are all those things that drive down people's estimations and satisfaction with um, satisfaction with the airline flight itself. So we look at this as potentially a very good move as far as satisfaction and a way to build goodwill uh, with uh, airline passengers. So it's a great thing. Now, granted, it's, just, it's a multi-billion dollar proposition for the airlines to drop these things. Now, there is some cost about changing tickets. It's probably not $200 for every occasion. Um, but they did that to kind of ensure that their scheduling would work out and uh, they worked into their algorithms of who would show up for flight and who wouldn't. So this is a good thing. Uh, they say it's going to be permanent. And my guess is that it will be relatively permanent. Thanks, Mike. Uh, Jenny, what does our research tell us about change fees for airlines? Yeah, it's been really interesting to see fees in general for the airlines uh, over the course of the, the years that we've been studying satisfaction with airline passengers. And I, I think, you know, as Mike stated, cost and fees is the most impactful area. And um, most people know about the cost up front, right? So the fees are really the unknown. And they do drive variation in satisfaction. Um, you know, being able to waive those fees oftentimes drives spikes in satisfaction, whereas people who have to pay unexpected fees, you know, they're going to see a dip in satisfaction. Um, so, so from our perspective, this should be really positive in terms of customer satisfaction. The one kind of lagging area that we're not sure how it's going to play out yet is um, one of the benefits of being, you know, having status with an airline in the past was you got those fees waived. So, that's one less benefit that um, you know those higher status members are receiving, uh, but you know, in, in general, it, it's a more transparent system, less fees overall, less less gotcha areas. So it, it should be better for most passengers in general in terms of satisfaction. Okay, that's interesting. Thank you, uh, Andrea. Let's switch to hotels. 
there's a recent uh, campaign by the U.S. Travel Association who has put together a coalition of travel um, hotel companies, I suppose, uh, around a, a campaign to get travelers to start thinking about their next trip. So is this likely to have an impact? What, what's uh, Why is the association and where are the hotel companies uh, marketing this now? Sure. Um, so it's very similar to a campaign that the Travel Association did after 9-11. Uh, they, they went out to uh, the major players in the industry, the the major hotel chains, the airlines, et cetera, to um, kind of get everyone to pitch in uh, some dollars to create and then uh, buy media for um, a, a campaign to, you know, to, to get people traveling again after, after 9-11. And this is similar. Uh, it's... Um, I, I believe it's used both domestically, but it's also, I think the plan is that they will use it in some key international markets once those markets open up for travel to the U.S. Uh, so like a market like U.K., for example, is is a big market for international travel to the U.S. And I think the thought is, is that they can use this campaign for a while, it will have a good shelf life, but it does focus on, um, you know, a lot of outdoor activities, which I thought was interesting and, uh, you know, not really showing a lot of travelers with masks just because most of the, most of the campaign, um, and, and the commercial really focused on outdoor, a lot of outdoor activities. So, it's, it's a good move. Um, I think, you know, as some of these regulations, we just, um, we were talking about uh, some states have quarantine requirements for travelers from other states, and it's all very confusing. And then, of course, the international travel piece. I think as soon as, um, you know, some of those mandates and things go away, this campaign will have uh, a lot of importance. To, to starting to generate travel demand again. Yeah, so a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here, it looks like. Right. Um, Mike, let's, let's move on to airports. So we are uh, currently uh, in at least one airport uh, doing interviews with travelers on a no-contact basis, uh, asking about uh, travel um, experience, but also around attitudes, especially around safety. So... This is still unpublished data at this point, but what are kind of some of the early results, early learnings that we're seeing from um, from the work that we're doing uh, on airport? Yeah, this is a, a survey that we do basically through people's smartphones uh, while they're actually on the airport uh, property itself. Um, so it's a very interesting uh, data collection method and uh, gives ex- very interesting results. And we're currently right in the middle of a field with one very large airport in the Southeast United States and soon to start with about three or four others uh, across the country. Um, And we're getting around at each of these airports around a thousand responses a day. Um, So for the first three weeks that we've been asking about COVID questions in the Southeast uh, part of the United States, we asked people, you know, where were they most worried about contracting COVID on their trip that day? And just under half, 48% of them said they were uh, worried, concerned about getting it while they were actually on the aircraft. 
you know, waiting in line, going through TSA, um, waiting at the gate. Uh, we're in the teens and low 20s, um, but fully half the people, uh, nearly half the people, uh, felt that the greatest danger was actually on the aircraft. And it kind of makes sense. You're sitting next to someone you, you don't know, and you're more than, or you're less than six feet away from them. Then we asked them what the airport could do to alleviate their fear of catching COVID. And in the 60% range was a requirement uh, for staff and passengers, both uh, groups, to wear a mask. Um, so that seemed to make people feel the most safe while they were traveling. And this is ongoing research, but with uh, numbers like that, it's very unlikely that they'll change very much as we keep adding thousands and thousands of data points um, this is going to be something that I think that'll bear out as we go through this COVID crisis. And uh, eventually those numbers will come down because as I've said before, all epidemics end, this one will as well. And that'll be a glorious day when it happens. Okay. Thanks, Mike. And then Jenny, we've got something big coming up around airports as well, right? With our annual um, study publish. Uh, so yes. that, that's coming up soon. Uh, how many... How many airports, uh, how are we categorizing them? Any changes from last year? No, it's pretty similar to last year. It's coming out next week, Wednesday, September 23rd. Um, we categorize all North American airports within three segments, uh, mega, large, medium. So the really small ones don't quite make the cut, but we have quite a few airports in the study. And um, this will be our fifth year of continuous data collection. So um, looking forward to some really good results and lots of interesting data, particularly with the trends and, you know, what's happening in the world of travel right now with the coronavirus. Okay. Thanks, Jenny. So we'll be uh, on the edge of our seats uh, next week to see who uh, wins the JD Power Awards for the uh, the best airport experience. Uh, Mike, let's finish up with rental cars. Uh, so, so what are we seeing just in general in terms of the uh, the impact of uh, the COVID pandemic on attitudes about renting cars, and is, is it is it having a different impact on rent or renting cars than it is on, for example, airline travel or um, hotel stays? Well, the short answer to that is yes, it is different. Um, if I know we spoke on this podcast before about some of the results we've had in pulse surveys. But the top of the list where people felt the safest was driving in their own car and then a little bit lower than that, driving in a rental car, more than likely by themselves or with family members. Again, sitting next to a family member is much different than sitting in an airline seat next to someone you, you have no idea where they've been or what they've been doing. Um, so we've seen you know, over the Labor Day period that some rental brands are reaching about 100% of where they were last year. Now, some of the bigger brands that we all know, Hertz and Avis and Enterprise, haven't reached those 100%, but some of the lower price brands are doing that, which is a really nice bright light at the end of this tunnel here, um, especially for rental cars. Because as we mentioned in the research, it's more likely that people will take a longer trip in a rental car uh, to go see Aunt Mabel in the, that neighboring state. And we, you know, there's a patchwork quilt of quarantines, as we people here in, who live in Connecticut know very well. You can't go to Vermont unless you want to stay in a hotel room for two straight weeks. Um, they're more likely to do that than go to an airport. Uh, and I should say they're more likely to do that sooner, driving a car, than they will get on an aircraft. But there'll come a day uh, when they will get back on that aircraft. And um, But right now, rental cars seem to have a little bit of advantage. And again, they're seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel here. Okay, terrific. 
So Mike, Jenny, and Andrea, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners for joining as well. To learn more about the J.D. Power Travel Practice, please follow us on LinkedIn or visit us on the web at jdpower.com business. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.